0: Hello, my name is Dr. Hannah Rosa and I'm a locum GP working in the northeast of England and I also co-host the GP Notebook study groups. Welcome to the GP Notebook podcast where we discuss bite-sized topics aimed at all those working in primary care. You can find us on all major podcast platforms including Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts please follow us to receive notifications about new episodes. And if you like what you hear, please consider leaving a review to help other listeners find us too. You can also follow us on Twitter at GP Notebook for more information about new podcast episodes and study groups. Finally, you can visit gpnotebookpodcast.com for podcast episode show notes and gpnotebookeducation.com to find out more about upcoming study group meetings. In this episode, we'll be discussing maternal postnatal care within primary care. So I'd like to start by asking you all to think back to the last six week check you did. What were the key points that you covered with regards to the mum? I've noticed that in the practices that I work in, the documentation for maternal postnatal checks varies hugely ranging from simply no concerns to a full template having been completed. The way I do the maternal side of the six-week check hasn't changed much in the last 10 years since I started working in general practice, but I know that a lot has changed within this time, especially in maternity care, partly thanks to the Saving Baby's Lives guidance. This has made me wonder whether I'm covering all the areas I should be when doing a six-week check for the mum. So firstly in this podcast, I'm gonna explore the latest guidance on maternal postnatal care within primary care. And for the second part of this podcast, I thought it'd be really useful to focus on some specific conditions. So I'm gonna explore anemia in pregnancy and the postnatal period, postnatal thyroid issues, gestational diabetes, and how to manage pregnancy-related hypertension after childbirth. By the end of this podcast, you will know, amongst other things, when and how to monitor blood glucose for a woman who has developed gestational diabetes, the phases that postpartum thyroiditis typically goes through, and how long women with anemia in pregnancy should continue their iron tablets for after delivery. First of all then, focusing on the six week check for mums. In 2013, NICE published a quality standard on postnatal care, which they updated in 2022. Within this quality statement six is all about the GP postnatal check for women. They state that this check should be carried out six to eight weeks after giving birth and that it should focus on four main areas. As we go through the recommendations from NICE, have a moment to reflect on whether your postnatal checks are meeting the mark. So number one, a review of the mother's mental health and general well-being using open questioning. Two, the return to physical health following childbirth and early identification of pelvic health issues. Number three, family planning and contraception issues. And number four, to consider any conditions that existed before or have arisen during pregnancy that require ongoing management, such as gestational diabetes. Now, if at this point you're thinking, so far so good, that your postnatal checks are covering these areas, nice don't stop there. They then give further suggestions as to what GPs may include when carrying out each of these four points within the assessment. When assessing physical and mental well-being, there there is an emphasis not just on asking about current symptoms, but also on letting new mums know how to seek help or signposting. For example, if they need help with their mental health or want to know more about pelvic floor exercises at a later date, where can they turn to? There is also an emphasis on health promotion. So asking about alcohol consumption, physical activity and smoking, and checking for safeguarding concerns, including asking about domestic violence. Now, I must admit that this isn't something that I routinely cover at the moment. When assessing physical health, as well as asking about vaginal bleeding, bladder and bowel function, nice also include inquiring about any signs of infection, breast discomfort, signs of anemia, thromboembolism, wound or perineal healing depending on the type of delivery and postpartum preeclampsia which can develop up to six weeks after delivery even when there hasn't been hypertension in pregnancy. So if seeing a woman prior to the six-week check be alert and check a urine and a blood pressure if she has any suspicious symptoms such as a new persistent headache or visual changes. NICE also asked us to be aware of the findings of the 2020 MBRRAC UK reports on maternal and perinatal mortality, which showed that women and babies from some minority ethnic backgrounds and those who live in deprived areas had an increased risk of death. They also emphasized the importance of re-inviting those women who don't attend and working jointly with other professionals, such as health visitors. Now, take a moment to think about what happens in your practice. Are there any procedures in place to re-invite women who've failed to attend? Thinking further about point three on the NICE checklist, family planning and contraception issues, the FSRH guideline on contraception after pregnancy is very useful. The FSRH highlights the superior effectiveness of long-acting reversible contraception and the importance of providing bridging contraception until a chosen form can be initiated. They also emphasise that contraception should ideally be initiated by 21 days after childbirth and that additional contraception precautions, for example, barrier methods, are needed if hormonal contraception is started after day 21. Interuterine contraception can be inserted immediately after birth or within the first 48 hours after a C-section or vaginal birth. After this, insertion should be delayed until 28 days after childbirth. Progesterone-only pills, implants and injectables can be started at any time after childbirth, including after delivery. Things get a bit trickier when it comes to combined hormonal contraception. Now, this can be started on day 21 after childbirth if the woman is not breastfeeding, doesn't have any risk factors for venous thromboembolism, and is medically suitable. If there are any VTE risk factors, which include postpartum hemorrhage, transfusion at delivery, post-caesarean section, smoking or a BMI of 30 or more, then the combined pill shouldn't be used until at least six weeks after childbirth. For women who are breastfeeding, progesterone-only methods have no known adverse effects on lactation, infant growth, or development. Breastfeeding women should wait until at least six weeks after childbirth before initiating a combined hormonal method. Male and female condoms can be safely used after childbirth, but women should wait at least six weeks after childbirth before having a diaphragm fitted. And if a woman wishes, she can be referred for sterilisation after childbirth. The lactational amenorrhea method is highly effective as long as the woman is less than six months postpartum, amenorrheic, and fully breastfeeding. Beware that it does become less effective if the frequency of breastfeeding decreases For example, through expressing milk, stopping night feeds or supplementary feeding. Fertility awareness methods can be used, but detecting signs of fertility and ovulation can be tricky after childbirth and whilst breastfeeding. And lastly, remember emergency contraception is indicated for women who've had unprotected sexual intercourse after 21 days after childbirth. Oral forms are safe to use from this time. Oral levonorgestrel, 1.5mg, isn't believed to affect breastfeeding or have any adverse effects on infants. Women who have used eulopristal acetate, 30mg, should be advised not to breastfeed and to express and discard milk for a week after taking it. The copper interutrine device is safe to use for emergency contraception, but from 28 days after childbirth. Now that's the first three areas of our check covered. Next is point four on the NICE checklist recommended. Let's think about other issues that may have arisen during pregnancy. And we're gonna cover now the thyroid issues, gestational diabetes, hypertension, but firstly, anemia. Anemia is common during pregnancy, and it's worth noting if iron tablets were needed during pregnancy and having a look at their latest full blood count, especially if a postpartum hemorrhage has been mentioned in their post-delivery discharge letter. Nice quote that for pregnant women, anemia is defined as a HB level of below 110 grams per litre in the first trimester, a level of below 105 in the second and third trimesters, and a HB of less than 100 in the postpartum period. The MCV and ideally ferritin should also be checked, although nice do highlight that ferritin levels can be difficult to interpret if infection or inflammation are present and may be less reliable in pregnancy, in which case iron studies with a transferrin can be useful. In the postpartum period, the Greater Glasgow and Clyde NHS guideline Advise the use of oral iron if the Hb is between 90 to 100 grams per litre and to use oral or IV iron if Hb is less than or equal to 89 and the woman is asymptomatic, but if symptomatic to discuss giving a blood transfusion. When using oral iron, iron deficiency anemia should be treated with one tablet once daily of oral ferrous sulfate, ferrous fumarate or ferrous gluconate and continued throughout the pregnancy and until three months postpartum. For postnatal women starting on iron, it should be continued for at least three months. When it comes to taking iron tablets, they ideally should be taken on an empty stomach with water or fresh orange juice and tea or coffee should be avoided for two hours afterwards as absorption of iron can be reduced. Patients should be monitored and a full blood count should be checked after two to four weeks to assess the person's response to iron treatment. And if there's a lack of response despite the patient taking the iron tablets as prescribed, then a the specialist referral is advisable to Ops to discuss giving IV iron or a blood transfusion depending on the HB level. Also remember that not all anemia is due to iron deficiency. If the HB is low but ferritin or the MCV is normal, remember to check iron studies and also a folate and vitamin B12. Also beware of congenital anemias such as thalassemia trait, sickle cell disease and hemolytic anemias that are sometimes associated with a low MCV but do not respond to iron replacement. These conditions can be associated with iron overload, and therefore iron replacement is relatively contraindicated. Okay, next let's look at thyroid issues. NICE have some useful guidelines for managing thyroid conditions in the postpartum period. For women with hypothyroidism, the thyroxine dose usually needs to be increased during pregnancy. Often, when women have received thyroxine in pregnancy, there will be a postnatal plan from the hospital covering how to alter the dose and when to recheck the thyroid function tests. Usually, the thyroxine dose is reduced to pre-pregnancy levels and the TSH checked after six weeks. One condition to bear in mind is postpartum thyroiditis, where the immune system attacks the thyroid gland, causing a thyrotoxic pattern and these patients should be referred to endocrinology. The thyroid function tests should then be checked four to eight weeks after the resolution of the thyrotoxic phase to screen for the hypothyroid phase. However, remember that not all women with postpartum thyroiditis go through both of these two phases. If a woman has entered the hypothyroid phase, then endocrinology usually advises starting treatment with thyroxine if the woman is symptomatic, breastfeeding or planning another pregnancy. Those who aren't treated should have a repeated TSH checked every four to eight weeks until it returns to normal, which they do with most women within the 12 months of giving birth. Following resolution of postpartum thyroiditis, patients should have an annual thyroid function test. If a woman has developed gestational diabetes, then all diabetic medication is stopped straight after giving birth and the patient's blood glucose level should have been checked before they've been sent home. Again, remember to give healthy lifestyle advice and to check for type 2 diabetes as these women are at higher risk of developing type 2 diabetes later on. Ideally, offer a fasting plasma glucose test between 6 to 8 weeks after birth. If the test hasn't happened until after 13 weeks, then a fasting glucose should still be offered or a HbA1c may be done instead. If this test is normal, then the patient should have an annual HbA1c to check for diabetes, with testing for gestational diabetes in all future pregnancies. And finally, hypertension. All women who've had a hypertensive disorder of pregnancy should be given advice on smoking cessation if needed, healthy lifestyle recommendations and reminded of the importance of maintaining a healthy weight as they're at increased risk of hypertension and cardiovascular diseases later in life. For women who have had gestational hypertension or preeclampsia, then they should have been discharged with a plan for when and how often to have their blood pressure and urine checked. And how to adjust their medications. Following the NICE guidelines, blood pressure is usually checked a minimum of twice weekly until it's been normal for at least two to three consecutive readings. GPs are often asked to review antihypertensive medication two weeks after delivery. If the blood pressure has reduced to less than 140 over 90, medication can be reduced and stopped when the blood pressure is less than 130 over 80. If a patient has been on methyl dopa during pregnancy, then this is usually stopped within a few days of delivery due to concerns that it can contribute to postnatal depression. Patients are usually discharged on either an allopril, 5 to 20 milligrams, with an appropriate plan for monitoring maternal renal function, or for women of black African or Caribbean family origins, nephedipine, caractin. XL, 30 to 90 milligrams is usually used. If a patient's blood pressure is not controlled with a single medication, then you can consider a combination of nifedipine and enalapril. If this combination is not tolerated or is ineffective, consider adding libiterol to the combination treatment or swapping one of the medicines already being used for libiterol. At the six week check, again, review blood pressure and any medication and test for protein urea in anyone who's had preeclampsia. The protein urea from preeclampsia should have resolved by this time. If there is one plus of protein or more, then arrange for a review three months after delivery to assess renal function with a urinary ACR or PCR and use an ease. If there are still abnormalities in renal function at this point, then consider a referral to the renal team to check for any underlying renal cause. If a woman has uncontrolled hypertension despite increasing the medications, or if she needs antihypertensives for more than three months, having not needed them before pregnancy, then many areas run a postnatal hypertension clinic that these ladies can be referred to. And that brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you all for listening. I hope that you found this podcast helpful. Please do have a look at the show notes that accompany this episode at gpnotebookpodcast.com and we'd be very grateful if you would consider following the podcast and leaving us a review on your favourite podcast platform. Feel free to get in touch via social media at gpnotebook or email support at gpnotebook.com if you have any questions, comments or ideas for future podcasts. You should also visit us at gpnotebookeducation.com to register for our virtual GP notebook study groups and download free resources and shortcuts to help improve the lives of our patients in primary care. Right, I'm off to get my own HB and TSA checked as I'm feeling pretty tired after going through all those guidelines. Goodbye.